Okay, so last week we had Ash Bell, and I really trust you enjoyed his ministry. I personally found it very, very encouraging. Just uh, the prophetic sense of what God spoke through him for the life of the church. Uh, if you want to, please catch up online. You can watch on YouTube or um, on podcasts. You can listen on podcasts. It really was a wonderful time last week. And uh, this week we're going to get back to our series on 1 Peter. Uh, I'm going to kind of do them this week and next week. Um, and we're already on part 26. Isn't that amazing? It's like a whole year we've been looking at 1 Peter. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 4 verse 10 today. And so we're kind of nearing our journey towards the end of our journey now through Peter's letter to these churches in Asia Minor that have been scattered all over the Roman Asia Minor. And remember that the focus of this letter is that Paul is trying to help, uh, Paul, Peter is trying to encourage us to live well when things are difficult, especially when we are experiencing suffering and we are waiting for God's intervention into our present to bring it to an end. And he's helping us to understand how we can live well when times are tough. How many of you have experienced tough times in the last couple of years? All of us, yeah? And so remember, right from the beginning, uh, from chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Now for a little while you might have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. He says right in chapter 1. In, ch in, in chapter 2, he reminds them, he says, You know, some of the suffering is going to come into your life through the Gentiles. Through the pagans, those that don't believe, that's going to bring some suffering into your life. Thirdly, he says in verse 13 of chapter 2, some suffering is going to come into your life through governmental authorities. When you are oppressed by uh, governments in a, in, in a way that is not righteous, that brings suffering into your life that you don't want and you don't expect, but it happens. Remember he said in verse 18, he said also, it can happen between you and your master, or in our context, the business. You can experience suffering in your life if you're working in a company where you're not treated fairly. And he says, you can expect some kind of suffering that comes into your life through that. He says to um, wives, if your husband is disobedient, it's going to bring some suffering into your life. Remember? Chapter 3, first six verses. And in vice versa, husbands, if your wife is not living in a godly way, it's going to bring some suffering into your life. Don't be surprised when this happens. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 3, you're going to be insulted because of me. Because of Jesus, you're going to be intimidated, verse 19 of chapter 3. And in verse 17, he, 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 he says, this leads to great suffering. But in all of this, he points us to Jesus. He points us to our inheritance. He points us to Jesus as the great example of someone who suffered unjustly and received a great reward for all of us because of his obedience through what difficult times. And he points people all the time back to Jesus. And so, for example, um, in chapter 1, he, he does that in verse 7. In chapter 2, in verse 21, he says, To this you were called because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his footsteps. And in chapter 3, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. And so all the time, as he's encouraging the people like this, he's saying, lift your eyes, remember Jesus, remember what he's done. He's there. He's a great example in your life. He's made the way open for you. Look to him. Look to him. Look to him. So I would encourage you in the same way. Whatever you've been through in the last couple of years, whatever's been unexpected suffering in your life, look to him. Look to Jesus. He's the one that's going to enable you and get you through. 
Amen? And then in chapter 4, which we've been looking at, this is possibly the, 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 the chapter that speaks most strongly about suffering uh, in, in a direct way. And remember, in verse 12, uh, Peter says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. So he reminds us of that again, and we're going to look at that next week. But the verses that we looked at last time and that I'm going to look at today are verse 7 to 11. And this is a kind of little parenthesis in the middle of this chapter. And he kind of speaks very practically of, of some ways to help us to live well. And remember, last time um, I focused on that verse that says, the end of all things is near, so be sober-minded. And I, I try to uh, look at how we can live well in the end times. And I said, it's not about predicting the end of the world. It's not about getting all weird as Christians about waiting for the end to come. What does Paul, uh, yeah, you can see where my brain is this morning. What does Peter say? In a very, very simple way, he encourages us, this is how you live well in the end times. What, what, what did he say? Do you remember? He said, be sober-minded, think clearly, take your time, focus well so you can pray. That's what we've got to do. We've got to learn to pray well uh, in the end times. And secondly, he said, those beautiful words, love each other deeply. This is how you live well. You pray, you ask God to give you the right perspective, you love each other deeply, and thirdly, he said out of that, show hospitality to each other. Welcome people into your home. Uh, love others. And so that's the beautiful, practical way that Peter encourages us in those verses. And it's so other-centered, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, when we're going through tough times, what we our natural response is to, I want to end the suffering. I, I want to deal with this so I can be free, and then I can help someone else. And yet Peter's like exactly the opposite. He says, when you're going through a tough time, give yourself away. It helps you. Love others. Give your friendship away. Be a blessing to other people. And that is an amazing perspective to have as we focus upon others. And here, Peter is saying, this is what you do. You love people. You are hospitable to people. You pray for them. You love for those that you don't, those that you don't even know. That's how we live well in the end times when there's suffering all around us. And now today, Peter continues this amazing theme uh, with one word of loving other people. <laughs> one word. It sums it all up. I love the Bible. The Bible's so good at doing that. It takes a lot, lot of thoughts and summarizes it succinctly. And here's one word that summarizes all that I'm going to say this morning. It's simply this. It's two words. Serve others. Serve others. Here, let's read together. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Speak as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen? What an encouragement to us. And so I have two very simple points this morning, and they are simply this. Number one, whatever gift you have, please use it. Yeah? Whatever gift you have, 
use it. So my first point flows from verse 10. Each of us has been given a gift to use. And the picture that Peter paints here is God giving gifts to people. And the people that receive the gift, they turn around and they give it away to others. They use their gift to serve other people. And so that is the heart of what God wants for all of us. That when He gives us something, it's not simply just for us to receive. It's for us to steward and give away. And to be a blessing to other people. I was just thinking this week, you know, whenever gifts are used selfishly, it never ends well. Do you remember Joseph? He had this amazing gift that he could receive dreams and interpret them accurately. And what he saw happened. But you see, he starts using his gift selfishly, he doesn't, doesn't he? When you first read of, uh, of, of how he uses his gift in Genesis uh, 37, it doesn't end up well for him. Why? Because he says to his brothers, he says, I had a dream. And you know, my dream, there were the stars of the heavens, and I, there was one big star, which was me, and all the other stars bowed down to me. And then he uses the, the illustration of sheaves, and he says, yeah, now there, there were all these sheaves. And I had this dream, and all the sheaves bowed down to me. And what happened when he shared his, his gift like that? His brother said, thank you very much. We're not having any of that. Down the well with you. Betrayed him. Off to the slave owners with you. When you use your gift, your gift selfishly for your own edification, never ends well. Gifts are given to be given away and to be a blessing to other people. So my question is, as we receive gifts, do we truly love the people that need to receive that gift? That's what it's about, really, at the end of the day. It's about loving people. It's about giving ourselves in a way because, a way because we really do love people. So I want to just reflect a little bit how we can understand gifts this morning. Okay, so there are general gifts that God gives us. Uh, he's given us the gift of life. We're all grateful for that, yes. Gift of health, largely. He's given you gift of time. He might have blessed you with a spouse. He might have blessed you with children, and we celebrated fathers today. These are all good gifts that flow from God's kind hand to us. And on top of that, He's given you some talents, some abilities that are natural to you. And these are all resources at your disposal, and all of these things are God's gift to you. And then, He generously, above those natural things, He gives us His Son, God so loved the world, yes, John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So he lavishes natural gifts on us. He gives us the gift of his son. And Paul calls Jesus, I love this, Paul calls Jesus the indescribable gift. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I love that. It's 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, if you'd like to look it up. Jesus, the indescribable gift to us. And then through Jesus, God lavishes other gifts and He gives us gifts through His Son. What does He give? He gives us eternal life. What a great gift is that. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So through Jesus, we receive other things. We receive the gift of eternal life. He gives us the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift from God. 
Another free gift that He lavishes on our lives. What about the Holy Spirit? Uh, there are many references, Acts 2.38, Acts 11.17. Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So many gifts that God gives us through Jesus. And then, so we have natural gifts, natural abilities, the general gifts that God gives us, and then He gives us spiritual gifts. And these are talents or abilities that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the special purpose, spiritual purpose, that God has for you in helping to build up His body. That's called a spiritual gift. And that's what Peter mentions now in the text that I read this morning. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And in, there's a real truth that each of us have been given a unique spiritual gift. And the idea that Peter's driving at here is that our gifts are not all the same. And each of us has a unique gift that needs to be imparted into the church, into the body of Christ. To help build it up and serve the church and be a blessing to the church. And that's what... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, where he's talking about spiritual gifts, he writes this and he says, To each has give, been given a manifestation of the Spirit, in other words, a gift for the common good, for the building up of the whole church. That's why you've been given the spiritual gift. So you can give it away and be a blessing to the church and help build the church so it can be strong. And he used, there's a list there in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read it and you probably know it well. For one is, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healings by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And so there's a list there of some of the gifts that are available, spiritual gifts in the church, and then he mentions other things also later on in verse 29. He talks about the gift of healing, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, and various kinds of tongues. So it's not exhaustive lists. It's a list of kind of gifts that we are to expect being demonstrated in the life of the church. And again, in Romans 12, there's another group of gifts that Paul mentions that's slightly different. But again, just showing that this is not an exhaustive list. There are other things that God wants to do in His church. And He says, Paul in Romans 12 verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. accordingly. If, if prophecy, according to the proportion of your faith, if service in your serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who encourages in his encouragement, he who gives with liberality, with generosity, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So again, we see from the Corinthian portion and the Roman portion here that the idea of gifts in the church, these are not ex exhaustive lists. It's not, it's not listing every single gift, but he's, Paul's saying these are the kind of spiritual gifts that God gives to his church. And then I was thinking there are other ones that are, are not um, mentioned in the, in, in the Roman letter or in the Corinthian letter. For example, um, what about Joseph called, Barabbas, uh, um, called Barnabas in, in the, the New Testament? Acts 4.36. He was a great encourager. His name was Joseph. And so the, the um, apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, son of 
encouragement. It was his gift that everyone knew. Barnabas, when you're around him, you feel encouraged. He's one of those kind of guys that builds you up instantly when you're around him. You leave the room feeling stronger. Joseph was a great encourager. What about Epaphras? Epaphras had a gift of prayer. We, he, we know that he prayed for the church in Colossia and uh, Herapolis. In Colossians, remember we studied Colossians 4. And there's this beautiful verse where Paul says, this is the kind of guy that Epaphras is. He always wrestles in prayer for you, that you might stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Yeah, aren't those great kind of people in the church? Prayers? They're always praying, always praying for you, wrestling so that you can stand strong. That's a great spiritual gift. Perhaps you know that God's given you a gift like that. What about the gift of hospitality? Ever heard of a lady called Nympha? Well, she's in the, she, she's in the, in the book of um, Colossians again. And there she's commended for her gift of hospitality in Colossians 4.15 that she, she was a hostess to people in her home many, many, many years. She loved having people in her home. It was her spiritual gift to be a blessing and build up the church. What about the gift of writing? What about Luke, the great writer of, of Acts and the, and the gospel of, of Luke? Aren't you grateful for his gift? <laughs> if it wasn't for Luke, we wouldn't have those great writings, would we? And he faithfully used his gift to build up the church. What about Epaphroditus? He was known for his great compassion. He loved people deeply. Why do we know that? Well, because remember about when, when we studied Philippians, you heard people that, that, that there were people that were sick in the Philippian church, and he was deeply moved. He had to do something about it. Why? He had a gift of compassion. He was motivated deeply with love for other people. And so... Man, spiritual gifts are exciting because they're so varied. There's so many of them. And the promise of God to every one of us is each of you has a gift. Use it so that the whole church gets strong. And the implication is when you and I are not using our gift, the church is weaker for the fact that we are not using our gift. It can't be about the preacher every week and the worship leader every week. I shouldn't have done, yeah, thank you. I shouldn't have just started. It's not the battery. Okay, so it can't just be about the full-time people. No, no, no. It's about every single one of us being a priest. And as we are priests, we use our gift to be a blessing to the whole church. That's what it's about. It's a priesthood of every single believer. And so also, remember, it doesn't mean that you only have one gift. Why do I say that? Well, Paul, the great apostle, he had the... Uh, um, he was an apostle, he, he was a, an elder, he was a, all sorts of things. Um, he had the gift of wisdom, 2 Peter 3 verse 15. He spoke in tongues, 1 Corinthians 4.18. He performed miracles, Acts 20.10. Paul had many of these gifts. So it doesn't mean that you are limited to one. If you eagerly desire, God will give you what you ask for. And so this is the point that I'm driving at this morning. These unique giftings in our body in the body of Christ are not chance. They are deliberately given to you by an act of God in the grace package that He lavishes on your life. And my grace package is different to yours and different to yours and different to yours. You have your own grace package and it's not by chance, it's by God's design. Why? Because Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and he says this, to each one of us, grace was given 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. We don't get to choose. We just get to steward. All right? You've got your gift that God has lavished on your life by His grace, and we are all given those gifts, why does Paul say, so we can grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Jesus, from whom the entire body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the purpose and the working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We all get to play in this thing so the whole body gets strong. Yes? And I've said this before, and I don't want to disrespect anyone, but I, I pray, I pray with all my might every day that the age of celebrity pastors is over. Over. It's not about celebrity pastors. It's about the church of Jesus getting strong. And becoming mature, that every disciple in the church knows what they're called to, lives that out, becomes a disciple of Jesus that is a blessing to every single person that they meet. That's what it's about. Come on, that's good news for every one of us. And so, this is where the point of tension comes, because I think one of the greatest difficulties is trying to understand what your gift is. <laughs> Have you found that? It's really hard to find out what your gift is. And I love my friend Michael Eaton said to me many years ago, and be who you are and you'll discover one day what you were. Isn't that beautiful? It's great words of advice. Don't worry so much about what you think your gift is. Just do what God's called you to do and one day you will find out what you were to other people. And that's cool. Don't get so concerned about it. Because when we get too concerned about what our gift is, we stop using, we stop giving ourselves away because we're so concerned, oh, well, is this the thing? Is this really what God's called me to do? No, just live. Yes? Just live, love. Give yourself away. Be generous to other people. And then along the way, you find out, oh, there's some things that come easily to me, and those are probably my gifts. You know, you know, you know, you know it, it, it is like that, isn't it? If you go into someone, someone's home who's got a gift of hospitality, it's just so easy to be there, isn't it? It's just so lovely. And it's not easy for everyone to do that. And because it's easy, some people don't think it's a gift. But it is. It's an incredible gift of being able to be hospitable that everyone just feels, oh, this is a nice place to be. Yeah? That's a gift. It's a real, real gift. And so if you find that... Is your gift? Enjoy it. You know, I, I always find this, this uh, like, uh, let's choose another example. You know, all these things like become a millionaire in, in three years. Have you ever experienced those kind of things? You get this, you want to be a millionaire, invest in this, invest in this. It's so easy to become a millionaire. Just follow our program and you'll be successful. And you uh, that stuff? Well, what's the point? The point is, it's not easy to be a millionaire. Some people are just really gifted with money. I've worked hard all my life. I'm not a millionaire. Not going to be a millionaire. It's not really my gift to make money. But for some people, it is their gift. And it comes easy to them. The point is, if it's your gift and it's easy to you, it's not just for you. If you are saved, it's for the blessing of God's kingdom that he's given you this gift 
Come on now, this is so, such good news. And so this is what Peter does in this letter. He's not so concerned about saying, well, discover what your gift is. He's saying, really, he's saying, just give it away. Use your gift, whatever it is. He doesn't spend all the time saying, and this is how you find out what your gift is, and make sure you know what your gift is before you do anything. He says, no, use your gift and serve. And so he broadly, in our portion we read this morning, just says two things. They are speaking gifts and they are serving gifts generally. And his, his, his encouragement here is get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes onto other people. That's the entire purpose that God has given you anything in, this, in the first place and give yourself away. It's for the common good. It's for the good of the whole church that you have this gift and it's so that the church can be built up. And so, for example, if you have a gift of knowledge, it's not to puff you up. It's rather that you can give it away to teach others about the ways of God. If you understand about the ways of God, you've been given that gift to be a blessing to other people. The gift of faith. If you have faith and when you pray things happen, it's not for you to build an empire. How great am I? Look at my faith. Look at the empire I've built. No, it's so that you can see the work of God accomplished in other people's lives through your faith. It's about other people. It's not about you. What about the gift of, of encouragement? It's really to build other people up, isn't it? So they can feel strong. I love people like that that encourage me. What about the gift of giving? It's for the advancement of the gospel. What about for the gift of mercy? It's to help people that are in distress. We're looking right now, Alex and, and uh, other people in the church, we're looking about how we can be a blessing to immigrants. And we're looking at doing some stuff with the vineyard. And we'll announce that in the next couple of weeks. How we can work together to be a blessing to people that are in distress. People from Hong Kong, people coming from all over the world because of political upheaval. How can we be a blessing to those people? And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, the simple thing. All this must be done for the building up of the church. There we have it. All of this is done so the church can become strong and the church can be a blessing. So my friends, what is your gift and are you using it to serve others? We gave purposefully this week, uh, we gave a little card to all of the guys. I hope you'll read your card, guys. It's supposed to be an encouragement to you um, on Father's Day. But perhaps there's someone else in the church that you, can, you know that you can encourage this week. Maybe you can write them an email. Maybe you can take them a gift. Maybe you can just say, I, I love what God is doing in your life, and I want to be a blessing to you, and just encourage them. Uh, perhaps you have some other family members or friends outside of the church that you want to send a, a, something to as a, a gift or a note of appreciation. And as I said today, perhaps um, you can make a point of really encouraging your dad today. <laughs> dads need encouragement eh? fathers need to be encouraged so maybe today is a good day where you could do that for your husband or your own dad or someone in your family that needs their head lifted a little that you can encourage them and so uh, the beautiful thing is as you do that as you give yourself away as you kind of be a blessing to other people you experience what Peter says there he says whatever gift you have received use it to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You hear what he's saying? He's saying as you give what you have, you are ministering grace to someone else. You're making the load lighter for that person just because you're using your gift. 
Isn't that a wonderful way to think about it? When I go to Maria's coffee shop, I leave lighter than when I came. Why? Because he has a hospitality gift, and it's always great fun to be at Relish Burgers. And you leave lighter. Oh, yes. That was wonderful. I was encouraged. Well, you don't leave lighter. You probably leave a bit heavier. But <laughs> you get my point. When you use your gift, it's ministering grace to someone else. It's taking the suffering, the load off them a little bit and helping them to carry their load. That's the powerful thing about being a steward of God's grace. Yeah, a steward of God's grace. So ultimately what I'm saying, and I've said it last week already, that when God gives us things as gifts, he doesn't, He's not really transferring ownership into our lives. He's saying, I'm asking you to steward this on my behalf. You are a steward. steward. And um, the house that you have, I want you to steward that. The finances that you have, I want you to steward that. The the hospitality that you show, I want you to steward that. It's it's, all of it is God's, and we ultimately are the stewards. And you know the picture that... um, Jesus uses many, many times in the Gospels. If you want to go and read it, you can. He uses the picture of the um, steward who ultimately gives an account for the management of his master's possessions. Do you remember that parable? You can read it in Luke, in Matthew. And uh, the gist of it is this. It's called the parable of the talents. And it says this guy goes on a journey. And he calls his slaves and those entrusted um, to look after his household. And he gives one five talents. He gives another two. And he gives another one. And the, then he goes away, goes on his journey. And the one who has the five talents quickly takes the talents that he's been given and invests them. And he makes a big profit. Sa- same way with the guy that has two talents. And the guy that has one talent is afraid. He's kind of afraid of, of the master. And so he goes and hides what he's been given and doesn't use it. And when the master comes back, he commands everyone, the five-talent guy and the two-talent person, and says, because you've been faithful, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to help you to steward. You've stewarded well, and now I'm going to give you more to steward. And the one who has been uh, fearful and hid his talent, uh, the guy, the master, is not pleased. He He says this. In fact, his language is quite strong. He says, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have at least put my money in the bank. and my arrival, I would have at least received my money back with interest. And then this, these puzzling words, he says, Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who had ten. So there's this idea in the scripture. It's not difficult to understand uh, what God is trying to say. He's saying God is the businessman who goes on the journey. We are like the slaves. The talents that the master of the slaves gives us are like the, t- the gifts the spiritual gifts that God gives to us. And just as God gives the master, his stewards, various amounts of money, God gives us varying gifts of various quantities and various kinds and various amounts. And the point is we have to use what God has given us. doesn't matter how much it is, you've got to use it. That's the imp- important thing because it has eternal consequence for you and for the kingdom. And so that's for me, is a direct kind of connection into what I'm sharing this morning with 1 Peter 4, where Peter says, be a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. And that's beautiful to think about, that it's, God's grace is varied. It's not a cookie-cutter thing. To some, he's given 
Greater gifts to some he's given, lesser, lesser gifts. But I love the Greek because it implies this. It says it's a multicolored grace. Isn't that beautiful? The grace of God is multicolored. It's not the same. It's not black and white. It's all different colors, all different varieties that each of us has been given to enjoy for the benefit of other people. So my first point, end now. <laughs> what is your gift? And are you using it? Are you giving it away? That's the important thing. Are you giving it away? Use your gifts to serve one another. And the second point that I have this morning, and it's not as long as the first, this is what um, he says. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with strength that God provides. So why? So that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus to him, be the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen? That's the second point. Whatever you are doing, however you are giving your gift away, make sure God gets the glory. Come on. Let God get the glory. Well, that, that's, again, it amazes me. Peter's not so concerned about identifying the gift. He's simply affirming that whatever you do, whatever your particular gift is, Give it away and make sure that as you do that, God gets the glory, not you. And so can I just uh, illustrate it like this? On the one hand, Peter is simply saying, if you have a gift, use it. So if you speak, make sure that you speak like God wants you to speak so you're not drawing attention to yourself, that God is getting the glory. If you serve, make sure it's like God's getting the glory. It's not, oh, look at me, I'm serving again. You know, oh, jeez, man, every week, every week, every week, you know. Really, Man, no, make sure that God gets the glory when you serve. On the other hand, Peter's also saying, he's saying that, but he's saying a deep thing. He's saying, actually, you've got to serve in a particular way. That the focus is taken away from you and put onto someone else. J Jesus. That's really, so yeah, it's good you serve. It's good you give yourself away. But as you do it, make sure the focus is not about me. It's about him. And that he gets the glory forever and ever. And so don't serve in your own strength. That a way that brings glory just to you and the sacrifice that you're making. Rather serve in the strength which God supplies so that he gets the glory. Now you might say, and it might be a good thing to say, and that sounds a bit religious to me. It's a bit religious language. And I would agree with you. You know, God gets the glory. It sounds so like religious. Can I make it simple? How do we know that we are aiming in the right place. Well, I want to give you two words. Humility and joy bring the glory of God. Humility and joy. So, if you want God to be glorified, there needs to be a humble, hum, humility in your heart. Uh, God gets no glory if, we, if I would speak in like an arrogant way that would draw attention to myself. He, he, he wouldn't get any glory. Then I'm getting the glory. That's why I said what I said about celebrity pastors. You know, who gets the glory in the end? Is it God? Sometimes I'm not sure. <laughs> and I say that as a pastor. Too many pastors driving Holly Davidsons. Too many. Too, too many. When you humbly share the God of glory with other people, he becomes glorified. And you've, sorry, that wasn't about your, it's a Honda. <laughs> it's a Honda. It's a Honda. <laughs> 
So, I think I've told the story before. There's this story of a, a young preacher who climbs into the pulpit for the first time, and he's absolutely determined he's going to preach a great message. And the sermon is a colossal failure. And he comes down from the pulpit. He's absolutely devastated. He's got tears of shame running down his face. And there's this old guy standing at the foot of the stairs. And he says to him kindly, without any kind of criticism, he says, son, if you entered the pulpit the way you left the pulpit, you might have left the pulpit the way you entered it. Is that true? He's saying, man, it's about the heart. Make sure you get your heart right. And then God gets the glory. So what's true in preaching and teaching is also true in counseling and serving. You can talk with other people in such a way that sets you up as the great authority, or you can point people to Jesus. Same with our serving. And you see, that's the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees, wasn't it? The Pharisees were always making sure people saw how holy they were. They prayed on the street corner. They fasted in a way that everybody could see. They tithed on every single little thing so everyone could see they were tithing, that everyone knew. And didn't bring any glory to God. Just brought glory to them. And Jesus took that on. Head on. So it's the, it's the humble servant that gives glory to God. Remember the beautiful portion in Philippians chapter 2. Talking of Jesus. Says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. And made himself nothing. And became a servant of all. So Jesus is our great example of humility. And then secondly, joy. Uh, John Piper had this famous phrase that he kind of um, made famous. God, he said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And this is absolutely true. When you find your absolute delight and your absolute joy in serving God, he is seen as being glorious. And he is seen as a God who's worthy of our trust and our obedience and our commitment. But if we serve him with this kind of like, oh, God, it's so hard. Ugh. When people look at that, they see God as this kind of ogre, this harsh father who wants our submission. And he doesn't receive any glory from this. So my friends, if we are going to see God get glory, get glory I want to encourage you and say, let's serve with joy. Let's serve, whether it's our speaking, our serving, let's speak with joy and live with joy and serve others with joy and serve with humility in the way that Jesus gave himself for us so that the church can be built. And you and I are doing it together. Every single one of us is building this church. Every time that you employ your gift to be a blessing, this church gets stronger. When you withhold your gift, this church gets weaker. And we need every gift for the church to flourish. Amen. What we're going to do now is we're going to break bread together. We're going to demonstrate something of God's love for us through what he did, through the death of his son. And we're going to pray that we would be a demonstration of that love to each other. So we're going to do it as a family this morning. Is that okay? So we have tables at the front. Uh, how many do we have this morning? Alex, three. One, two, four. Four tables. Thank you. So there are four tables. I I'm going to pray, and then I want to encourage you to come and take some bread and a glass of wine and pray with someone else 
that they would know what their gift is and that they would use their gift to build God's church, that we would truly would be a blessing to each other. Amen? Let me pray. God, we do lift our eyes to you as our great Father this morning. We thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your grace that was set towards us before the world was even created. You had set your heart towards us and you loved us. Before your son had ever done not one thing in ministry, you loved him and you approved of him. And your Lord, your heart has always been towards us as your sons, as your daughters. We're so grateful for your love. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you demonstrated that love, that while we were still dead in our sin, while we weren't even looking for you, when we were not even interested remotely in you as our Father, you sent your Son, who humbled himself. And your promise to us is that if we believe by faith in what Jesus has done, instantly we are made, we are made right with you and we begin to enjoy this beautiful relationship with you as our Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he took the bread after the meal and said, this is my body broken for you. Thank you that he took the cup in the same way. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Eat and drink in memory of me. So Jesus, we remember this morning. We choose to remember what you've done. We choose to remember your great sacrifice. We choose to remember your body broken, your blood poured out for us. And we confess to you this morning those things we've done to hurt, that have hurt other people, those things that we should have done, that we didn't do, and we withheld, and that hurt people. We, we say, Lord, we are sorry. And we ask you to once again remind us that our, our sin has been washed away as far as the east is from the west. And in the same way, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live in a way that pleases you by the power of your spirits. That something of our lives would reflect something of your glory in a humble, joyful way that points others to you, the great Father, to you, Lord Jesus, the only Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we simply thank you for each other. Thank you for this beautiful church, people linking arms to journey through life with each other and to help each other. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace always that we enjoy day by day and moment by moment. Everyone says, Amen.